I wouldn't say the focus has been on displacing or replacing or filling labor needs. It's been um, more about scalability and maximizing space. Um, uh, space is at a premium these days, and so you're seeing more and more distributors implement or kick the tires on robotics and systems that enable them to just simply have more stuff in the same square footage than they had it before. So you need better technologies for inventory management and, and uh, movement of product and everything. Um, also, a lot of it on data management, business intelligence. Uh, distributors sit on an absolute gold mine of data because there are so many transactions actions every single day and most distributors will ad admit that they just don't leverage the data well enough so lots of investment on figuring out how to get the nuggets out of all that data and and make better decisions move faster be more nimble welcome to paychecks thrive a business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey everybody, it's Gene Marks, and thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Paychex Thrive Podcast. I am here with Talbot G. Talbot is the Chief Executive Officer at the Heating, Air Conditioning, and Refrigerating Refrigeration Distributors International, or Hardy. Uh, first of all, Talbot, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Really excited about this. Yeah, glad to have you here. Um, we have a lot to talk about, and this is um, yeah, this conversation is really directed to people that are in the in the HVAC industry, but also contractors as well, and indirect and related fields. Tell me a little bit about the organization, and then I also want to hear about you and how you came to be uh, leading it. Sure, sure. Yes, yeah, so we're the wholesale distributor association in the uh, heating, cooling, and refrigeration industry, and uh, we represent. Uh, over 450 wholesale distributor entities um, located all across the United States and we also and Canada. And then we also have a Latin American division, which reaches into Mexico, Central America, South America. And, um, and, and so that's an additional, I don't know, uh, 50 or so more wholesalers or so, something like that uh, throughout, throughout that part of the world. And uh, we're, we, we are proud to say we have a location in every congressional district in the U.S. And uh, members of all shapes and sizes. We um, still have an awful lot of family-owned, family-run businesses, but we also have publicly traded. We have very large privates. Uh, we have nationwide, super regionals, down to one location wholesalers. So uh, you name it. And then all the major um, suppliers are also associate members of the organization as well. Got it. So these are people that are in the, you know, the heating and air conditioning industry, correct? I mean, that is what they do. And, and these are, you know, are there, are there, um, you know, HVAC firms as well that, you know, like the guy that comes to put in, you know, the HVAC system in, in my house, um, are part of your members as well, or is it just distributors and suppliers? No, we, we work very closely with the contractor community, but no, they are not members of ours. Uh, and that's intentional. They, 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 they are organizations that are specific to the contracting side of the business. Uh, we are specific to the wholesaling side of the business, but, uh, but we are, as a former president used to call it, a three-legged stool, right? The stool falls over if you don't have the manufacturer, distributor, and the contractor. So we work incredibly closely with the contractor community on a lot of things, everything from training and workforce development all the way up to, you know, obviously government affairs and policy issues. Yeah, it makes sense. And how did you come to lead the organization? Well, um, I, I had... Uh, uh, 
tripped into the industry that is association management and working with trade associations. Uh, and uh, I happened to get into the wholesale distribution sector and yeah. was working with associations in, in wholesale distribution. That in and of itself is kind of a tight community. And my predecessor, who ran Hardy before, Don Frenberg, uh, had met me through some of those networks. And then when he decided it was time for him to retire, um, asked if I would move to Columbus, Ohio and, uh, and, and fill his shoes. That is awesome. Um, and do you guys have any members? You know, it's North America, I guess, right? So it does include Canada and Mexico. Um, do you have any members that are outside of North America or anybody in Europe or Asia? Yeah, we have uh, we have a, a very small spattering. Um, we have a, a couple that are actually in Australia. We have, I think, one or two that might be in Europe uh, or Asia. But we don't focus on it. We don't recruit for it. Usually, if they join, they found us and um, want to be able to have access to the U.S. manufacturer executives, which is hard for them to get where they are. Um, that being said, we are considering further international expansion due to the success of our Latin American division. Uh, and we see opportunities in a few segments of the world uh, where there is either the need for or an established uh, wholesale channel that, that we can help uh, uh, develop and grow. Got it. Hey, so Talvi, you just mentioned earlier about some of the things that you guys help your members with. Um, workforce development kind of rings true, you know, in my ear. And, and I, you know, it is, for my clients are in both the manufacturing and distribution industries, regardless of what their specialty is, uh, it, it still remains under one of the most, you know, the, the most biggest issue that they have. Uh, finding people, retaining them, training them. Um, what do you guys, like, how, what kind of services do you provide to your members to help them develop their workforce, find new people, uh, get them as skilled as possible? Where, where do you point them to? Yeah, uh, not enough, never enough on that, yeah. but um, it's growing. So uh, one of the coolest things I think uh, our, our education foundation did is we completed a, a, and created a whole documentary. It's a 50-minute documentary that you can see on um, uh, uh, Amazon and, and things like that called Hot Commodity. And it's an incredibly professionally produced docudrama, I guess you'd almost call it, about working in our industry. And it has a large focus on those individuals who may not have a college degree, for example, right. and all the opportunities involved. And it was so well received that we were actually asked to expand it and include some of the contractor interest as well. So there's even portions about what it means to be to come into the field as a technician and go work for a contractor. But um, it, it really was intended to overcome any, um, you know, myths that, you know, you cannot be successful without a college degree. Or if you have a college degree that you have to go to these certain fields and that this industry may not be a, a great place for you. We, I think we've addressed all that. So that was a great one that we encourage our members then to use. Go take it to the job fairs, the high school career days, those sort of things, and share snippets of that or make it available to, to the students they talk to. Um, we also just brought on an incredibly accomplished and experienced uh, new vice president of talent development who has worked with very large uh, public international organizations, corporations, who um, obviously their biggest issue was refining, uh, finding and retaining talent, right? Yes. Especially retailers where you have dots on a lot of maps. So she's going to bring a wealth of expertise to us on how we enhance our game in, in empowering our members to be excellent recruiters and retainers. Um, but if I had to put a button on the whole thing, I would say um, 
we encourage the members to look hard in-house first. Yeah. Before you launch some huge recruiting campaign, what does your onboarding process look like? What do your internal processes and policies look like? Are you actually an employer of choice, right? Like ask yourself the hard question and really make somebody help you from the outside evaluate that. Maybe there are reasons why you might have a hard time attracting or retaining talent. And it's something you could actually fix if you were aware of it and focused on it in-house. So that's really the first place we start and where most of our resources really lie is helping them from the inside out first. Let me, um, I, I got to drill down on this because only because it's been such a hot topic. Um, a lot of states offer workforce development training programs and grants as well. Are you familiar um, with any of those? I mean, are there, is it, do you have any sort of advice or, or thoughts for people watching this that might want to take advantage of those kinds of programs? Well, especially in skilled trades, there's a lot of opportunities in that area. And that's one of the trends we've seen in our channel, by the way, is a lot of contractors, as they grow, um, one of the first things they do when they hit a certain scale is they start building their own training facilities. And their model then shifts to where they'll look for practically green potential technicians and build them themselves, not rely on third parties, not rely on... Or even if they get them from a trade school or something like that, they're still going to run them through their own program. And sure. um, and so there is ways that you can secure some funding in some states and through even some federal programs, depending how big you are, um, to, to help you offset some of the cost of doing that thing if you are successful in building and growing a talent base. So um, on the wholesale side, it's a little bit uh, not you don't have quite as many opportunities like that. But the right. best distributors, I will tell you, they have formal development programs for their high potentials, for their leaders, and for their executive management um, paths and tracks. And, and I think that's an important best practice. Have you been seeing uh, many of your members like doubling down on technology only because they're, you know, they're just unable to find workers or there's, you know, better ways and quicker ways to do things? And if that's the case, like, I'm kind of curious, like, what kind of technologies are you seeing out there? And I realize you're dealing with you know wholesalers, distributors, and also you know manufacturers, so it can be different. But yeah. I'm kind of curious when you talk to your members, like what what's been hot in their minds over the past couple. So of years? yes, huge investments in technology, but I wouldn't say the focus has been on displacing or replacing or filling labor needs. It's been um, more about scalability and maximizing space. Um, uh, space is at a premium these days. And so you're seeing more and more distributors implement or kick the tires on robotics and systems that enable them to just simply have more stuff in the same square footage than they had it before. So you need better technologies for inventory management and, and uh, movement of product and everything. Um, also, a lot of it on data management, business intelligence. Uh, distributors sit on an absolute goldmine of data because there are so many transactions transactions every single day. And most distributors will ad admit that they just don't leverage the data well enough. So right. lots of investment on figuring out how to get the nuggets out of all that data and, and make better decisions, move faster, be more nimble. Um, so uh, and then in, I would say when it does come to people, um, people are expensive, frankly, these days. They're expensive and, and they can be hard to replace. So you're thinking about ways to use technology to make their jobs easier, safer, more sustainable, right? So that in theory, all those things reduce turnover because the turnover is so expensive these days. 
So I, I don't see it really as displacing people as more empowering them and making the businesses just more efficient. Um, jumping back onto the, the whole workforce again, just, I'm just seeing what, I mean, you're, you're out there, you're talking to your members. Um, do you, you know, is trade in tech schools still the place to go to find those sort of like skilled, you know, hourly production or even warehouse people? Is that sort of number one, um, along with that, like, do you have any thoughts on, on, you know, programs with local high schools, you know, some, some of my clients have tried that with different types of success. I mean, what are your, what are your comments on, on both of those? Yeah, I think they're really important. And frankly, I think they're starting to see some success. I mean, frankly, we've seen a steady decline in four-year college enrollments over the last four years now. And um, there's, there, those people aren't just disappearing. They're going somewhere. And some of them are going straight into careers. A lot of them are going into vocation or trade type school type uh, or associate degree programs. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a really big deal. The other part of it is, especially in the trades, you know, uh, not a lot, a lot of a lot of kids don't want to go into just more school. They want to work with their hands. They want to do something more immersive. They want to do something more interactive. And some really smart companies out there are taking advantage of that and giving these young people some incredible opportunities right out of school. And they they come out making a good wage with a huge potential for growth and no debt whatsoever. Right. Like it's kind of like the trifecta, the, the perfect win. Um, so we see that with the wholesaler community, too. One of my favorite things about wholesale distribution, you, there is countless stories of guys who started as a driver or yeah. just in the warehouse who then end up on the counter, then end up in inside sales, then end up maybe in logistics or branch management, or they go the other way towards sales, sales management, then end up in executive positions. It, it is in a branch manager, by the way, I think is one of the coolest jobs on the planet. It's your own little business, right? Like it's your own, you own your territory and the responsibility for execution for your company in that territory. And you own the personnel in that area. You own the inventory management. You even sometimes own the relationships with the sales, the sales forces in, in those areas. I think it's the coolest job in the world. And you can get that job with a handful of years of experience. If you're smart, you work hard, you're on time, you're conscientious and you want to learn. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, I people that are in your industry, um, I mean, I see and bump into them all the time, and it's it's not only great for professional development just internally, but listen, I mean, the kind of skills and stuff that you learn, it gives you the ability to go out and start your own business if you want to do that, you know, on your own and with employees or without. It's a great livelihood and a great way, you know, to make a living. Are there any other? Just you know, I when I speak to groups, and I, I've written about this in a few different places, I've been seeing this jump in um, in in people companies are so desperate to get skilled workers that they're willing to go to certain areas. And one area is like uh, the formerly incarcerated. Uh, you know, I've seen some industry groups, you know, form partnerships or at least uh, go after people that are getting out of, you know, prison. They've served their time. They work with nonprofits that um, can provide training for them. They can get those workforce development grants as well. I'm curious if you've seen any of that in the HVAC industry. Has there you know, been an uptick in people in these times of trying to find workers um, going to the prison systems? I'm curious, you know, what, what thoughts you have on that? Yeah, I mean, there's opportunities more so probably in the wholesale side of the business on something like that. The contractors, it's a little trickier because, you know, um, if you, for example, are going to be a technician, 
you're in people's houses and it's yeah, a really big deal on security. And a lot of companies do do have to do the background checks, but then also give advanced resumes to the customer of who's coming to the house and the background there and everything. So that one's a little bit trickier, but for, you know, again, for distributor personnel, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's instances of that. The, the other big um, uh, opportunity has been, um, veterans, people coming out of the military, right? And um, that's been a huge opportunity for, for many in that respect. Um, you know, I'll also address, uh, we have, um, we, we actually created one of our newer councils is a, a, a diversity and inclusion um, council, but it, it was done with an extremely narrow, sharp focus, and it is on recruitment and retention. It, it is that that that's what it's about: is how do we solve the biggest problem in recruitment and retention, and what role does diversity inclusion play in that? So, one of the best examples is our all of our distributors are growing at rapid rates, and they're in a lot of markets that are not their home market anymore. Okay, so now if you want to be effective in a market, you know this as an expert, right? You have to relate to your customer base, right? So that may mean that you have workforces that are very different from maybe where your headquarters are or where you had originally grown up. Are you capable, conscientious, aware, effective at recruiting and retaining people in other territories that you are now in that you may not? know a lot about or have a lot in common with directly, right? So so to me, that's the business case around diversity and inclusion. And that is the, the laser focus that we keep with that council. How do you make sure you're understanding this in terms of improving your recruitment win and your retention win? And that's it. If there's any other topic, we don't talk about that. It, it only is if it does those two things. It's great. All right, let me pivot away from, from workforce and labor and um, ask you know, just some things on the economy and regulatory stuff um, from you. Uh, you know, the HVAC industry um, has done well. I mean, you guys have had, you know, you know through COVID and since COVID have, have, have performed quite well. Um, obviously, everybody's reading everywhere that, you know, construction, you know, construction continues to be strong, but, you know, pending home sales are like at a 30-year low. Real estate industry is right now in the doldrums. It's a combination of high prices and high mortgage rates and people not wanting to move. Does that, does that concern you in this industry or, you know, are you, are you more inclined towards just new construction? Uh, it does, it does concern us and not because so many of our members do so much new construction, um, but more so because our market intelligence teams identified a really strong correlation with our members um, sales and existing home sales. And um, it's actually pretty fascinating. You take that back over time, uh, a 1% change in existing home sales equates almost directly to a half percent change in distributor sales. And if I can so, interrupt you, I, yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's because um, a lot of times people will, will keep their HVAC systems much longer than they should be. Um, then they wind up selling their homes for whatever reason. And then, of course, the new buyer comes in and is like, all right, well, we got to replace the system because we just got, you know, we just bought this house. So if there is a, a drop off in the sales of new homes, then I guess that correlates into the drop off that you're talking about. Correct. That's exactly right. Exactly right. So so uh, construction trends are a big deal. Um, multifamily yep. has buoyed the industry quite a bit. And there's still it's still going relatively strong. But the backlog is starting to shrink. So that's a that's a concern for more like second half of 24. Um, 
And because there's a huge lead time between, you know, when a job gets permitted to actually when it impacts our in, our our members. And sure. when, that, when those permits start to drop on those multifamily, you can almost see it coming a little bit in, uh, for our members down the road. Um, so, so that one's another bit of a concern. Um, that being said, you're, you're right. The industry had um, absolutely historic years um, for 20, second half of 21, uh, 20, I'm sorry, 21 yeah. and 22. Um, yeah. We would say we've already kind of gone through our recession, so to speak. We're, we're more in normalization mode now. We think the rest of the economy might be catching up in a little bit here, and we'll see you know, maybe a little bit more economic headwind macro economy uh, going forward. Um, but we continue to truck along, and our volumes are, are higher and above pace of what they would have been pre-pandemic if you had just taken the normal growth rates. So even with the declines, our normalization is more around just volumes and growth rates, not, not, not gross volumes. The gross volumes are still higher. So, yeah, we're feeling pretty good about that. It is more of a repair-ish type dynamic now, not as many of the strong replacements we had. Understood. But that also will lead back to some of the regulatory discussions we'll have because um, our, 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 our friends in D.C. have not helped us a lot when it comes to replacements. Yeah, we're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, but just, just um, when, when you talk about the overall environment, has, has high interest rates had an impact in your industry? It does on a few fronts. Um, obviously, it's a headwind to existing home sales, right? So that's the first part. We already talked about that. But the cost of capital, right? I mean, that's a big deal. So distribution is actually a financial model more than anything else, right? You're a financer uh, in, in, in distribution. So, um, and by the way, our inventories, the, um, the, the products have inflated in price a lot due to regulation, frankly. Um, so it costs more, you have to carry more, and you're also probably carrying more space than you had because you expanded during the 20 through 22 timeframe. So all your costs kind of went up, plus the cost of capital on top of it. Um, we are a little concerned. We've seen um, lending tighten significantly by the smaller and regional banks, which are usually the primary banks for a lot of our members, and more importantly, maybe their customers, the contractors. So it's harder to finance a bigger project, a bigger deal, slows everything down, right, and creates a bigger risk on that front. Then you have inevitably some pullback on some of the inflation. So then you end up as a wholesaler, sometimes a little bit off kilter because you had to buy at X, but now you're kind of selling it at Y, right? So sure. not only did you take a margin hit, but your inventory valuation is a little bit off. So these are not insurmountable. And our guys are, are smart, savvy guys who've been through downturns before, but high interest rates are not good for wholesale distribution generally and, and makes it more challenging. You just have to perform better. Your margin for error shrinks quite a bit when you have environments like this. And do you still feel that your members are, are continue to deal with inflation? I mean, I know that inflation has, you know, obviously been reduced. It's now anywhere from, you know, around three to three and a half percent. But uh, most of the industries that I speak to, Talbot, I mean, they're they're still reeling from what was has been double digit price increases in their core materials. Mm -hmm over just the past few years. Are you seeing the same thing? 
Yeah, yeah, well, you probably get sick of hearing it too because everyone talks about how you know inflation's coming down. Well, no, the rate of growth of inflation is coming right. down. So that means the high prices that have grown so fast are still growing. They're just yes. not growing as fast, right? So that's an issue. Now, in our industry, we worry all the time. Like at some point in time, do you start pricing out consumers from from the market, right? But you know, the fact is, again, a lot of it is driven by regulatory mandates. Just the cost to manufacture are higher, right? And the materials, everything like that are higher, you know. Um, uh, commodities, we're still a commodity-heavy industry as well. So those those can be high and fluctuate a lot on us too. So yeah, inflation is still a really big deal. Um, now, um, it, it's not, again, insurmountable, but sure. um, you, your margin for error continues to shrink. You have to be really sharp. And frankly, like the use of um, financing and incentive programs becomes even more important just because the cost of the projects keep going up, right? So before, maybe you could get away with leaving some of that on the table, but now the cost going up, you got to take advantage of every lever you can pull to try to sell that job or get that thing done. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it is a concern. We will, we'll keep watching this pretty closely. It's funny when, when, as you're talking about some of the challenges, we talked about labor and workforce and retaining and finding people. We talked about the high interest rate environment. We talked about uh, you know inflation, higher costs, and and you've said it a few times during this conversation that um you know these things are not insurmountable, and they're not. I, I mean, even high interest rates, which are prime rate right now, as we're speaking, is about eight and a half percent, which means I'm sure a lot of your members are paying nine and a half, ten and a half percent, depending on their you know their credit history. Um, it's it holds people back. Price increases holds people back, but it doesn't put them out of business. They just have to be smarter about how they're running their businesses, and it's just a. These are just challenges that we're all dealing with. And it's not just your industry. It's as you as you can imagine, it's across all industries. You know? Well, I will tell you, though, you know, when the inflation really started to pop on us um, yeah. and again, we also had a regulatory situation which exacerbated it for our industry. Um, yeah. And and so it, it really exploded in some areas. Um, the, the big aha, though, was for a lot of members, honestly, it's really easy to just look at dollars. And right. the dollars can can kind of hide the story. And uh, dollars were going up, but volumes were going down. But it was being masked by that in that price inflation. So I think our members in general are actually coming out of this even better managers, leaders, strategizers than they were going into it because they're even yeah. more aware of of the unit growth rates and and that and that such. Yeah, I feel about that way. Okay, so here's your chance to vent a little bit on the regulatory side. I, you know, I went through your website. Yeah. Um, just, just for those of you guys that are watching, and just since October, I, I got to read some of this stuff out. Uh, on October 10th, the EPA has finalized its technology transition rule with a confusing set of definitions that create an install date deadline for all equipment using high GWP refrigerants. Also on October 10th, the, the EPA released proposed HFC management rule designed to reduce links and ventings of HFCs, whatever that is. Uh, I know you know what that is. Um, November 28th, the U.S. Department of Energy has finalized this proposed rule requiring manufacturers to produce consumer furnaces with at least a 95% AFUE rating. And then it, you know, the list goes on and it goes on. It is um, – and listen, this is not a political conversation. I don't want to go down that road. But we, we do have to agree that this is an, a political environment where – Climate change is a big narrative and, you know, people are the environment this and the environment that. And uh, this administration has been big 
on these kinds of regulations. They've had a huge impact on your industry, and um, I, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on that and what you know what, what you think of all these changes that are that are being imposed on you guys. Yeah, we are um, a surprisingly heavy, heavily regulated industry. Uh, so we have Department of Energy, which establishes um, uh, energy consumption standards for most of our products. And then we have the uh, EPA, which regulates the refrigerants primarily that we use because they were initially ozone depleters. Then they were high global warming potential substances. Um, and now we're transitioning to a lower, we will be transitioning to a lower uh, global warming potential substance, but it actually has a mild degree of flammability. So it, it, <laughs> it, that then we run into code issues, code adoption, code updates, and all like that. Um, and and really, it's been also just bad timing. Honestly, we um, you know we had to go through an uh, energy standards change um, effective at the start of twenty three while then we're preparing for this transition for new refrigerant platforms going forward. And the manufacturers, um, I, I honestly, it's amazing that they, they weathered this because can you yeah. imagine demand forecasting for, uh, for where you still have some legacy product, but you're building new product, but it can only be new for a couple of years because then you have another new product that has to come out. It, it's, it's really daunting what we've been through. And, and, um, uh, I, I don't know. It, the The confusion has been tough. Now, that being said, this is the time when organizations like ours are supposed to shine. This is when yeah. you, you prove your worth. And we've invested very heavily in helping our members navigate this and obviously doing our own advocacy. You know, it wasn't too long ago when a lot of our government affairs work was legislative. It was on Capitol Hill, was in yeah. D.C. and on, on the Hill. And I would say now it's overwhelmingly regulatory and it's yeah. a different kind of advocacy. It's a different kind of work. The structure that works for lobbying in the federal in, in the legislature is not the same structure that works real well for being effective in the regulatory agencies. And uh, so and, and it's time consuming. Frankly, it's expensive. We actually had to sue the EPA on on a rule that they had finalized um, a, a, a year, a little over a year ago. And um, thankfully, uh, uh, U.S. Circuit Court agreed agreed with us and we won that case. Um, but, you know, at the same time, we spent almost three quarters of a million dollars doing it. Right. So um, and that's money that could have been a new program for regional sales managers or a new, you know, or whatever. So um, it, it's it, <laughs> yes, I am venting a little bit. But at the same it's time, fun. I'm proud of our team and our members because they step up they give us good data. We're a reliable and trusted source when we're working with the agencies in the Hill because we have good data. We have engaged members. We have a fantastic government affairs team um, and we can back it all up, right? So we don't just sit there and stomp our feet and, and complain all the time. We said, this isn't going to work, but this is why and this is a better way of going at it. Now, do we always win that argument? No, but it's about as good as you can do. I do know a lot of associations and speak to a lot of associations, and I do have to say that um, uh, you know, you know, yours is uh, an industry where you know if you're in the HVAC business, you really do need to be a part of um, an association like yours. I mean, there's just too many regulatory issues and things that need to be dealt with, and you need people representing you. Um, we only have like a minute or so left, uh, so so Talbot, let me ask you. I mean, going forward, where do you see the opportunities? for people in the HVAC industry. I speaking personally, mm -hmm. my um my son is a mechanical engineer. 
with Microsoft, and he is uh, he specializes in HVAC, and they're building server farms all around the world, mm-hmm. and they're scooping up technical people with expertise in the HVAC world because these server farms need to be climate controlled. You That's know, right. um, do you consider that to be like a you know a big you know like an, an opportunity area for your industry? And are there any other areas that you you know that you would point people to? Yeah, data centers for sure is definitely on the roadmap. Um, we do see continued upside in the non-res market, both refrigeration and commercial HVAC in general. Um, so those areas, but those areas are also a little more volatile. Um, and it usually, it's it's generally smaller in terms of number of companies who, who participate in that part of it. So uh, as versus the residential side of the business, but um, uh, those are absolutely opportunities. I would say specifically, though, even just within our niche in in in, in wholesale distribution, um, I think this is a time where the combination of the more challenging economic environment, a slowdown in demand, plus the regulatory regime on top of it, is going to make it extremely difficult for marginal performers to weather and kind of get through like maybe they have in the past, right? So I view that as an opportunity for our exceptional performers. That's a way that you can pick up territory, acquisition, whatever the case may be, and and grow your value to your end customers, to your suppliers. So my challenge to our our members, especially over the last year, is create the most educated and eloquent customer-facing personnel you can possibly have because it's so confusing and complex out there that there's going to be some who are going to be flat out wrong, well-intended but wrong, or right and become that trusted single source of truth. And you want to be the latter, right? That's hard, though. It's a hard thing to do for large organizations to get a unified message top to bottom all the way around around and wide. And that's where we have to come into play. How can we help them do that? We give them training materials. We'll give them resources. We'll give them um, uh, 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 we're actually building an AI powered chat bot that will answer complex questions on some of these regulatory issues for anyone anywhere in the world where they're at. but how do we empower them to be that most educated and eloquent? So that's the opportunity I see. If you can accomplish that, you have no choice but to gain share, grow value, and 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 frankly, grow your business. If you fail to do that, um, I'm not really sure where what the future will hold for you on that. Talbot G is the chief executive officer at Heating, Air Conditioning, and Refrigeration Distributors International, or Hardy. Uh, a wonderful organization where I, I do have to say, if you're in the contracting business, particularly in uh, the HVAC world, uh, and you're a wholesaler or you're a supplier, or manufacturer, uh, there are just so many regulations and such a need to join up with you know others in your industry, put your competitiveness aside, and uh, share the data because I think this is um, um, it's a world where you really need your association. Hardy does a great job. So, uh, Talbot, thank you so much for joining us. You got it. Thank you. Everybody, thanks so much for watching and listening to the Paychex Thrive Podcast. My name is Gene Marks. If you ever need any advice or help in running your business, or if you'd like to suggest uh, a guest for a future podcast episode, please uh, visit us at payx.me forward slash thrive topics. Again, my name is Gene Marks. Thanks again. We'll see you again soon. Take care. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? Please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash thrive topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. 
Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Incorporated 2024. All rights reserved.